Hello everyone listening at home, welcome to the 7 Point Highlander cast. We are the official podcast of the 7 Point Highlander format. I'm your first host, Sav, and with me as usual is Vance. Hey. So today we have a bit of a mixed bag. Just roughly, we're going to be talking about what Eldraine has done for Highlander. So not so much a spoiler, more like a retrospective, you know, a post-spoiler. To really assess and see what kind of cards have made a bit of an impact, a few waves here and there. And uh, then we're also going to uh, delve into a little bit of uh, how that might have changed the metagame in some of our locations. Now, before we leap into that, let's talk about what's the point. So... Today, for what's the point, we're going to talk about Mana Crypt. Vance, can you give us a little bit of a background on Mana Crypt? And hopefully we haven't done this before. We've got a little bit out of sync with our uh, what we've actually done, so apologies if we have. But Mana Crypt, uh, for anyone who doesn't know it, it's a zero mana artifact. It's been reprinted actually a bunch of times now, although it's never been printed in a normal set. So it's a zero mana artifact that taps for two, colorless, but every upkeep you've got a flip a coin, and if you win the flip, nothing, and if you lose the flip, you get bolted in the face. Um, so, and it's two points. It's the average so, of 1.5 damage. Would you take Would you take one and a half damage a turn in order to be effectively two turns ahead of your opponent, as long as you're using colorless mana? I think the answer for some decks is, yeah, definitely. So it's two points because it's the sort of card that if it was no points, or probably even if it was one point, uh, it would just be in every deck. Like, two colorless mana is pretty good. Uh, Soul Ring is at three um, because you don't take the damage and there are some decks which do actually care about that. Like, Mana Crypt does accelerate you harder on the very first turn you play it because you don't have to pay the one that Soul Ring costs. Um, but experience has been that Soul Ring is enough better than it most of the time or enough better in enough decks um, that, that it's a point less. But, yeah, fundamentally, getting two colorless mana for essentially free uh, every turn um, is really good. It means that, you know, on the first turn you're casting Tireless Tracker or Blood Moon or whatever. Um, on turn two you're casting any one of a number of really powerful four mana Planeswalkers or creatures or enchantments. You know, you've got your sneak attacking to play on turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, That's one of my favourites, but my other favourite is Ch- Chandra Torch of Defiance. That's yeah, a great turn I, two play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's without anything else going on. You can easily get in situations where you've got Mana Crypt and um, like something like Mana Vault or Grim Monolith or something, uh, and you can go, you know, turn one, put the Grim Monolith into play off my Mana Crypt. Turn two, I've got seven or more mana. Like, I'm casting Khan. Um, (laughs) And that gets pretty obnoxious pretty fast. Yeah, I think the uh, comparison to Sol Ring is really on point, no pun intended here, because uh, there's been a number of times where I've been uh, working on a deck and then with my three points, I go, do I want Sol Ring or do I want Mana uh, uh, Mana Crypt and Mana Vault? Because the total point, the point total is the same. But they do very, very different things in your deck. And uh, Mana Crypt and Mana Vault together, uh, they give you a higher likelihood of having busted mana. Therefore, your deck kind of wants to have its busted mana to enable some kind of busted early start. Uh, otherwise, it becomes clunky. Uh, 
or you want the soul ring where you just go, well, some games, I just want to draw this soul ring and I just want to be far ahead of my opponent. And uh, other games, you can play an entirely fair mid-range game and not having busted mana is okay. And then you've obviously got the other pathway where you just play all of them. But uh, I've been in that very distinct situation before. Uh, there's been a couple of things that pushed me towards playing Mana Crypt and Mana Vault, which should attest to why this is such a good use of two points. Uh, in that, uh, to take Gruul Moon, for example, which is just basically red-green ramp combo. The, in, in that deck, I, I opted to play Mana Crypt and Mana Vault because I want to consistently be ahead of my opponent. But also... <laughs> I, when when your opponents are very likely to be running Dak Faden, Mana Crypt and Mana Vault are actually better than Sol Ring. <laughs> yeah, in some respects, yeah. Yeah, they sometimes go, oh, maybe I don't want to take that. <laughs> um, and then the other as aspect is Sol Ring gets countered by Mental Misstep. Yep. So that's enough to push me towards playing Mana Crypt and Mana Vault uh, in that particular deck. In other decks, though... Uh, as I said, Soul Ring is just the way that the pathway that you want to go down. Um, there's also a budgetary concern there. Soul Ring is like what a very small ten, amount of money, five or ten dollars probably. <laughs> yes, <laughs> compared to <laughs> Mana Crypt, which is uh, maybe twenty times its price. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like even though Mana Crypt's been reprinted a bunch of times, every time it's been reprinted, it's been at sort of mythic rarity or similar. Um, well, and in fact, it might have only been reprinted once or twice, like in. Um, Eternal Masters and whatever. Yeah, I think there's a Judge um, print and then there's an Eternal Masters print. And now there's a Mystery Booster print. Yeah, and, and there was also a an invention, but the invention's, I don't know, a squillion dollars well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so for me, the times where you want to play Sol Ring, the, the difference between wanting to play Sol Ring and Mana Crypt is Mana Crypt does go very well with Mana Vault. And the times where I really want to play those are where... Having the early start for things like Blood Moon can make a huge difference, but also where I've got a fairly large number of colorless costs. So you want to be in a position where if you draw them both, then on turn two you are playing like a Worm Coil engine or something. That's where you get your really, you know, just grotesque starts. Or, or you're playing Thought Not Seer on turn one or this sort of thing. So you, you're making really obnoxious use of the extra colorless mana. And that colorless mana is basically treating mana vault like a dark ritual. So it's like a wingdings ritual. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wingdings ritual. Um, <laughs> and Sol Ring is better in a deck where your plan is for the game to, not every game necessarily, but your plan is for the game to go for 5 to 10 to 15 turns. And the incidental 8 damage you take off mana crypt might actually matter. If, if you're in something like Big Red, where you're planning for your opponent to hopefully either die or concede before Mana Crypt matters, then fantastic. Um, but yeah, that is that is the point of Mana Crypt. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good use of two points. And we'll probably touch on it again a little bit later on as we talk about how artifacts are positioned. But first of all, why don't we leap into a discussion of what Eldraine has done or what new printings of Eldraine cards have done so far in Highlander. And I think yeah. we probably have to get the elk out of the room and <laughs> talk about Oko. Yeah. <laughs> so elk, just before elk we do, so we're gonna here. cover we're gonna cover a couple of cards we talked about 
in the previous spoiler thing and a couple of cards that were spoiled after our elk went on air. Oko is certainly, unfortunately, a magic card. So obviously opinions about Oko are mixed, if not uh, vehemently opposed to him. Uh, and he's he's really made quite a lot of waves across a variety of different formats. And we'll read that as every format. Because I'm sure you've all seen the video footage of a vintage match where an elk... Black Lotus swings in for lethal. That is a sign that Oko is probably a card that if you're not already playing it, you should be playing it. Uh, or thinking about it at the very least. Yeah, actively think about you know whether you should sleeve this this um, uh, card up. And I can I can uh, unashamedly say that I uh, woefully underestimated his power level and played played a an event. Where Oko was legal, uh, i.e. after the printing of Eldraine, but I did not sleeve up Oko in Rug Life. And I believe that was a mistake. And that's a, that's a sign of uh, power level because I'm on the record about keeping the uh, mana costs in Rug Life down as low as possible. And really actively hating Spellseeker. You know how people yeah. kind of go, wow, Spellseeker is such a good card. It's so OP. You can get you to, you know, your Ancestor Recall and your, and your Time Warp. And I'm like, I mean, it's really the 60th card in the deck. It's I, I, yeah. I sleeve it up first thinking this is going to be busted. But a Concentrate and a Time Warp aren't exactly where the deck wants to be. I'd rather have another, you know, I'd like, rather have a True Name Nemesis, essentially. If True Name Nemesis yeah. was zero points, that's going to be hands down above your Spellseeker. You want to play your threat, and then later on, uh, you know, protect that threat or, um, you know, pressure your opponent, so on and so forth. And Oko does exactly that. Oko is essentially the True Name Nemesis slot, hot take, uh, in Rug Life, because it's zero points. It essentially attacks for three the following turn, like True Name Nemesis does. Uh, but then it also incidentally attacks for six, two more turns after that, and nine, two more turns after that, uh, because you're constantly making your food and turning into three, 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 and keep going like that. And when they finally kill the Oko with a Pyroblast, which True Name Nemesis is not vulnerable to, you still have the True Name Nemesis equivalent, a 3-3, three, three, something with three power that you're going to you know, protect and ride to victory on the battlefield. And that is insanely powerful, not to mention the fact that he also lets you turn your opponent's reanimated grizzle brand or something into an elk or whatever other problematic permanent is out, it's an elk. And we've all, we're all familiar with that experience. So if you haven't sleeved it up, you should be playing it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on it. Uh, definitely better than I initially thought it was. Um, I think it's probably worse in Highlander than either standard or vintage. I think it's probably significantly worse than it is in vintage. Um, and I'll, I'll explain why. Like, it's still very good. But in standard, obviously, it's a monster because um, you've got the food deck and you can make enormous amounts of value out of everything, like... You can generate food for your goose and for your wicked wolf. Uh, you can turn your Nissa lands into six sixes and just beat the snot out of people. And that's all just ridiculous. Also, the power level of standard is obviously a lot lower than the power level of Highlander. Um, in Vintage, on the other hand, um, you always have a spare mox that you can turn into a 3-3 with haste and bash someone with. Mm -hmm. um, you, you always get to cast 
Oko on turn two. If well, You nearly always get to cast Oko on turn two, sometimes on turn one. You nearly always, well, in a lot of matchups at least, maybe not nearly always, but in a lot of matchups there's artifacts in particular that Oko can destroy, quote-unquote, like, you know, time vaults and whatever. Mm-hmm. Or so, immediately turn your own artifact into an elk, like your mocks that you use to cast him. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and bash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, the the Oath of Druid synergy, which does exist in Highlander, but it is very easy in vintage because again, your opponent's always going to have moxes or, or whatever lying around. In mm-hmm. Highlander, that's less true. Um, the average deck in Highlander plays uh, zero moxes. Um, in fact, there's hardly any moxes that that are being played at the moment, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's, there's lots of decks that might not play an artifact before turn five or turn four. Or there's that's there's, there's plenty of decks that wouldn't play any artifacts at all. So, Oko, I mean, absolutely worth investigating. I mean, as you say, like, against decks like Reanimator, it's actually kind of a paddling, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they still get to draw their cards off Crystal Brand first. So, But, um, you know, it's very good against that. Uh, even against decks like um, uh, various mid-range decks, you get to turn their 4-4 or 5-5 flyers or various idiots with a pile of text into Elks, which... As we know, he's uh, yeah. uh, pretty good. And Oko is quite hard to kill. Like that That's something that is almost as true in Highlander as it is in um, Standard, is that if you cast Oko on turn two, which is not that hard, there's lots of elves and such lying mm. around, the odds that you don't get to untap with it again are really low. Like You get to untap with it nearly 100% of the time unless your Absolutely. opponent combos you out. Um, and combo is actually the other thing that differentiates it strongly from like standard or whatever um in standard it's unlikely you you know play oko make a food and your opponent's like uh tendrils you 12 times um <laughs> yeah, it's an, an unlikely scenario <laughs> an unlikely scenario in a format that contains no card that let that happen so yeah uh, but uh, certainly when i i mean obviously not everyone but i think for a lot of people when you when you first read oko you're like oh yeah make a food that doesn't seem as good as making like a clue which is is the thing you obviously relate to and turn something mm. into a 3-3. Three, three, I guess that's okay. Uh, yeah, it's all really good. Yeah, <laughs> so true. I think one of the uh, archetypes that has benefited the greatest from it are the relatively underplayed blue-based mid-rangey land and lands uh, archetypes. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, like Sultai lands, uh, affectionately referred to as backyard science. And... <laughs> Four color lands, you know the uh, the the junk lands yep. decks that were yep. were adding the Ren and Six. You know these these areas where you just want a planeswalker that you can uh, power out relatively early in the game has a high loyalty, so it can get attacked and then help you stabilize in the game. Uh, really, really good. So and uh, things like uh, Salty Control, like um, just thinking about it as, as we're talking, I reckon uh, you could probably make a quite interesting Salty Control deck where you're playing. Half a dozen planeswalkers as sort of your win condition, and it would be really good in those decks as well. Yeah, I've tried to I've tried to make the Kurgan work, and the Kurgan ain't a working because it's so <laughs> it's so hard to um, justify playing Sultai colors, being vulnerable to Blood Moon, and then trying to play a whole bunch of basics so you're not vulnerable to Blood Moon, but that means that you don't get to play your best cards, like the GG cards, like, you know, Thrun and Corsair Crufix, or, you know, yeah. just these are just things I'm pulling off the top of my head, but anything that involves a colour-colour, uh, the same colour is really, really tricky, so then you end up playing not quite the best of all of the cards, but when you have something like Oko, uh, it just gives you more 
tools that encourage you to sleeve up a Leovold again. And, you yeah. know, pure Leovold. I'm not talking, you know, four-colour four Leovold decks, four but pure, you know, Sultai. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just motivation. Motivation to brew in the blue-green design space. Uh, I've, I've really, really wanted to make... Um, like rug control and rug mid-range a thing. And in the past, rug mid-range hasn't been particularly good because there's no reason not to splash Colligan's Command and uh, go into the Kess side of things and become a four-colour deck. But with Oko, you've just got more tools and you can actually start to make those decks work. Uh, Recent recent performance by Isaac Egan's deck uh, in in the hands of... A colleague who I don't have Facebook up here. Um, sorry for not remembering the name, but uh, yes, what, uh, a, f- a friend of Isaac's was borrowing his deck, and it was basically a rug midrange, something that yeah. uh, I had toyed around with and never got to work just because of the aforementioned "Hey, why not? Why you know Colligan's command?" And Oko was enough, like was enough to just kind of say, "Hey, maybe you can just stick with these three colors, and it's going to be good." and it was evidently good. So, yeah, I, w- I want to sleeve that up. Okay, doesn't give you the incidental artifact destruction. Like, you're not, in general, you will occasionally, you're not in general going to, like, just go, cool, turn three, I'm going to blow up your signet. Um, because then they just get to punch you in the face with it. Um, but it does give you a lot of the artifact control you need because it deals with not matter artifacts so well, although sometimes it does, but with problem text artifacts and problem text mm. creatures like Leovold like Leovold they've still got the 3-3 three, three, but you don't actually care about the 3-3 three, three part you care about the targeting no card drawing shenanigans part yes for sure uh, another another point on that um, that just popped into my mind was some of the best friends of uh, Oko's uh, elk making ability are already in green namely Thrashing Brontodon. Thrashing Brontodon yep. is a 3-4, so it blocks Elks and kills them all day. And yep. uh, uh, Corsa of Crufix is a 2-4, so it lets you w- uh, turn your opponent's things into Elks with impunity until they have to. They find a way to remove the 2-4 uh, or 3-4 blocker. And by the yep. time they've done that, your Oko is now on 10, and so now you give them a food and you get one of their 3-3s, three and now you trade your 3-3 three three with their other remaining 3-3. Three three. It's, well, it's and, just... and you've made two food into 3-3s, three and like, yeah. Exactly. So, so I, It's I a think card that... where you don't want to give people a lot of time, but it makes a lot of time. Absolutely right. It, it's, it's just this card that I think will re, uh, revive these blue-green X strategies, like blue-green, black, and blue-green, red, um, because you do need some amount of hard removal somewhere, otherwise you're going to get run over. But that blue-green X shell is something that has always been uh, not strong enough in Highlander, and I think Oko plus um, you know things like even Tamio, you know Tamio regrowing back time walks and and so on. That's oh, that's enough, to, that you know, yeah, 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 to, yeah, to just encourage you to play that. Even though Tamio's plus is a bit bit terrible in highlander the, the two regrowth ability when you're time walking with it is is pretty great so yeah all right so so there's four of the cards we didn't discuss last time and one we did but we want to talk about a bit more another one we did that we want to talk about a bit more do we want to start with that one let's um, let's jump to hushbringer because i think we can switch it up otherwise we're going to just be talking yeah. about how good blue is <laughs> yeah um 
What's what's the text on Hushbringer again, Sal? Uh, so if I had it in front of me, I will read it out. But from memory, it's a one-two for two, uh, one colourless and one white. It has flying. Think, uh, I'm pretty and... sure it's three. No, it's definitely, definitely a one-two for two. <laughs> um, and it, it, it has flying and it has lifelink. But the most important thing is it basically stops triggered mm-hmm. abilities... Uh, with you know, enters a battlefield and leaves the battlefield triggers. I think it's leaves the battlefield as well. Um, so hang on, let's just actually read it. Uh, so it's a white and one for a one-two flyer lifelink. Creatures entering the battlefield or dying don't cause abilities to trigger. Dying, so, yeah. so not leaving. Yeah. yeah, uh, it, yeah. it also has very, very importantly, uh, an essentially meme-worthy art. It, it looks like someone's oh, done some that? bizarre. You know, like it looks like it should be a meme. Um, it- but it looks it, like it's like some weird Photoshop or like it, it looks kind of like it's the start of a video where there's this weird winged creature. And then in the background, you've got um, uh, that meme of the giant cowboy screaming yeah, starting yeah, or something. Um, yeah, yeah it's, that's that's it's, absolutely that's what it looks like. It looks like it's a card the opening I really of- hope is reprinted. So that I can play the version with whichever art they give it later. <laughs> but don't you like the fact that this art looks like an, an 80s video clip? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, we'll move on then. <laughs> the next card... No, I'm joking. So um, what, what did you want to talk about with uh, Hushbringer? So Hushbringer is just one of the ones that I'm pretty sure was spoiled after we did the last episode. And I just it's it's an ability that's well, being, well worth being aware of. I don't think this particular set of text has ever been on a card before there have been various things that have been similar to either half of it but i don't think there's anything that does the entering and dying part um so it's a card that i would expect to see play in things like uh green white hate bears at least in the board because there are a lot of creatures i mean highlander like many formats uh because of the presence of planeswalkers and other things tends to trend towards creatures that either have haste or do something immediately. And this stops all of that. Sure. Opponent plays Thrag Tusk, no 3-3 three, three for them. Uh, if Thrag Tusk is bounced to their hand... No, sorry, no 5-life for them. If Thrag Tusk is bounced to their hand, they get the 3-3, three, three, but if it dies, they don't, I think, probably. Someone will correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and I think that like the comparison to the closest thing being... Uh, Tokatli Honor Guard, which is basically a 1-2 ground pounder, which doesn't yep. pound for much at all. And... It has the the enters the battlefield uh, aspect of that ability. That has when it was printed. I'm pretty sure uh, we it was already in print before the the cast had started. I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it was a, one of those cards that I picked up a copy of, thinking, "Hey, this is going to go into something at some point." You know, it has a nice unique ability, and it just didn't because I, a I one two. I think it's in very occasional play, but very occasional. Yeah. Um, whereas this, you, it's also a one-two. A, but the difference is, if you imagine Tokatli Honor Guard as a two-two, that's eminently playable as a hate bear. But yeah. with this um, Hushbringer, it's the closest you can get without making it a two-two. So because it's got flying, it's always going flying. to be able to. Or, yeah, it's almost always going to be able to attack. So because yeah. it's going to almost always going to be able to attack for one life link, it's essentially the two point life swing you'd be getting with your Takatli Honor Guard. Yeah. So yeah. it's the closest you can get without kind of pushing it into a two two. So. And it's got extra text. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I think it, it could definitely see play. 
Okay, so the next one, which I'm pretty confident Sav wants to talk about more than a little bit. This card was spoiled literally minutes after we finished the last episode, uh, mm. the, the last spoiler episode. We're, we were about to finish, and we are like, oh, let's have a look at the spoilers. No, nah, there's nothing new on it. Cool. We'll do the wrap-up. Um, then, you know, <laughs> we finish recording. We press stop. Uh, Sav and I are having a chat. I go and look at the spoiler. I'm like, oh, well, bugger. Done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We knew there was going to be at least one. Uh, so this is Mystic Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So Mystic Sanctuary is a an island that comes into play tapped most of the time, or some of the time. Um, but if you control three other islands, it comes into play untapped instead. And if it comes into play untapped, you get to put an instant or sorcery from your graveyard on top of your library. Um, yeah. Yep. Card which is, is pretty good. Really good. Yeah, really good. The... Yeah. The best place, the best, the best home for it, uh, is basically blue red tempo, and we can we can extend that into blue red X tempo. But the problem with that is once you're with your third color, the number of islands you control and the likelihood this comes down. into play, yeah, as an untapped source is pretty tricky. But blue red tempo itself, which has been affectionately referred to as uh, Doctor Seuss, right? Um, yep. You can probably explain that joke to the audience. Because it was your naming, wasn't it? Because the deck is basically uh, red, blue, fish. So it's, you know, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. And actually when it was first built, I think it didn't contain exactly two merfolk. So. Oh, so good. So good. If you were sleeving that deck up and you were playing the uh, Time Walk version, i.e. not the budget version, you can play Blue Red Tempo, but with a budget uh, constraint meaning you don't have a t- access to a time walk. But if you do have access to a time walk or you're playing in a proxied event, uh, Mystic Sanctuary is an absolute slam dunk into the deck. You yeah. have some minor costs, and those minor costs usually involve very, very occasionally coming into play tapped, and also very occasionally being a mountain because you run Magus of the Moon in the main and Blood Moon in the side, something along those lines. Uh, but that cost does not outweigh its uh, upside and that upside usually is literally win the game so it's not only just a card in your deck that has the text saying hey you know if you've got a time walk in the graveyard you're probably going to win now because you've got enough prowess triggers you've got enough attack steps to kill your opponent because you're a tempo deck but it literally puts that text it staples that text onto four of your other lands namely uh, misty rainforest and the other brethren that fetch an island. Yep. It is so good in that deck. It's uh, it's actually um, uh, really, really surprising. And th- for, for Wizards to print a card that has this much of an effect in Eternal formats, uh, perhaps because, you know, they do say that they unashamedly print without really thinking too much about eternal formats and they still though think okay is this thing going to be absolutely busted and broken in vintage okay maybe we won't print it and they look at mystic sanctuary and they're like this is probably not going to be broken in vintage because you know four lands being a requirement in total including it uh and it's probably not going to be broken in legacy because legacy is a much faster format but obviously not on their radar is highlander highlander is a format where games can quite often go long even though you're a tempo deck even though you're tempo even though you're aggro you're not killing consistently on turn three and four like you would be in uh, legacy so the likelihood of this actually pulling its weight and being relevant is extremely higher than vintage and legacy so that's well, probably and, why it's um and, you know, and it's really vintage. good in vintage and legacy like 
I've, I've watched a number of videos of uh, LSV and various people playing it in a variety of older formats and just going, yeah, so now I'm just going to play a control deck and then I'm going to take all the rest of the turns in the game mm. um, because I just get to every turn do this. Um, there's a variety of shenanigans you can do with it with uh, cards like Gush where mm-hmm. you can just go again um, by bouncing... Because it's an island. So it, it's fetchable, it's bounceable with cards like Gush and various other things that bounce islands. It's bounceable with things that bounce just other lands as well. It's high impact and... Um, I agree that it's at its best in decks that contain time walks, but even if I was first playing a deck like uh, building a deck like blue black control or some kind of blue white control or blue green whatever oko whatever, um, you definitely got to look at it because you don't you don't need that many things that you can put back on top that many powerful things that you can put back on top for this to be just really great like. There are going to be times where you're like, well, I don't have a time walk, but uh, I could put Colligan's Command or Lightning Bolt or whatever back on top of my deck. And the times where I choose to do that, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, the really good comparison there is the interaction between Engineered Explosives and um, Talarian Thingo. Uh, <laughs> that one. <laughs> the land. Um, Academy Ruins. Academy yeah, Ruins. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's Talarian when it's dead, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, Academy Ruins and sometimes Buried Ruin. Basically, that is a package that is relatively low cost to put into, uh, you know, blue X artifact-based decks. And you very rarely actually use the loop. You very rarely actually go, hey, okay, I'm going to loop this engineered explosives because I need to get out of a situation. But when you do... Oh, you feel so smart. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's so good. So that, that comparison is kind of those... Um, you know, blue, red, uh, blue, blue, black, blue, black control, or, you know, one of these decks where you go, okay, I'm going to put my useful card back on top of my deck and it's going to cause me to win the game. But that will happen, you know, in 5% of games, 95% of the games, this will just come into play and you'll either decline to use its ability or you'll play play it tapped on turn one or you'll use it to just put a preordained back and get a very, very marginal amount of value out of it. But so, so you can still use it in decks that aren't going busted. One pro tip was from uh, Drew Carter. So he was, he's, he's been, uh, kind of exploring the Jeskai design space and he ended up landing on his uh, deck Bauble and Coke, which has a um, hilarious uh, background name, uh, in background to the name. In in short, his original Jeskai Miracles is nicknamed Bourbon and Coke because uh, Adelaide Eternal team member Beckett Wolf <laughs> poured Bourbon and Coke over... <laughs> over um, uh, Drew's deck, which was not double sleeved at the time, <laughs> and the deck was uh, thereafter referred to as Bourbon and Coke in honor of the uh, marks that it has on its uh, volcanic islands, etc. Uh, he he evolved that into Bauble and Coke, uh, which has a deck tech. We'll link you to it, but basically it's just like a combo version of yep. uh, Jeskai, uh, which just goes mad, goes ham with all these baubles, zero cost artifacts that prowess up your. Uh, monastery mentor it basically always wins with monastery mentor it's really really sweet but he was the pro tip from him um experimenting with mystic sanctuary he's he goes this this card is absolutely busted it is absolutely insane but make sure you count your number of islands when you gush because he had some situations where he he you know 
gushed back the Mystic Sanctuary, intended to replay it to put the time walk back on top and just continue looping this thing, and he was one island short. Yep. And, yep. you know, just that done goofed situation where this was in testing, so, you know, he obviously ironed those kinks out after absolutely thrashing the field and winning with Bauble and Coke <laughs> at the later event. Absolutely thrashing me with this and, and uh, going going ham with Mystic Sanctuary off days and then gushing. There have actually been, uh, I believe, I, I mean, I, I know certainly in Adelaide, I've seen some in Melbourne and there have been some in Canberra, um, a reasonable resurgence in artifact-based decks. So this is playing things like um, Emery from the new set, which we did talk about last time, mm-hmm. um, and Urza... Uh, Goblin Engineer um, and also I think it's just one of those things where it lays dormant for a while and people start cutting some of the hate and then you know you get a resurgence in these decks Um, absolutely which is really sweet like it's always good to see obviously sometimes we have to point things to mm, fix these problems but also sometimes the metagame can just adjust or the metagame finds a, a, a bit of a uh, balance or Nash equilibrium or whatever you want to call it where you just go oh okay these artifacts decks are going to be good for a while and then people start boarding in um, you know having more of the hate back in their sideboards and then they'll go down a bit and we'll just get a bit of a natural flux and that's fine yeah exactly and I think that that saw a resurgence in Adelaide basically uh, immediately after this printing of Urza and then Goblin Engineer and Emery within a very short yeah. span of time was enough to It's a lot of a power passion. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for comparison, the last uh, Good Games Adelaide Highlander event, I kid you not, 33% of the metagame of this 20-something person event, 33% of the metagame was Mana Crypt. Wow. Yeah, ridiculously high, which is why we chose Mana Crypt today as what's the point. Um, and a large... I was the only one not playing it in a busted artifact deck. I was just playing it in Gruel Moon. And <laughs> everyone else, all the all the rest of the people were playing it in blue, red, X artifact decks. So really abusing those three new cards and, uh, you know, doing degenerate things. One was like a blue, red, white version. One was a blue, red, black. And one was just blue, red, pure. But they're all using that same... Uh, core and I think that power level of those new three cards alone is enough to justify trying to sleeve those decks up again and push through the hate even if the hate comes back push through it and see how far the archetype can go before it does you know uh, hypothetically crash because every person's playing main deck null rod or something you know yeah. they're, they're the extremely warped metagames um yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's really, really exciting to see people brewing with artifacts again. Uh, Time Vault has also been on the up. And I know that in Adelaide, again, we had something like uh, last month was characterized by about 25% of decks registering Time Vault oh. so across all of the events. It's really, really popular right now. Um, it's something that you can hate on. It's something it's... You know, once that happens within a metagame, everyone starts to tick back up on playing their ma- their uh, sideboard Stony Silence and Null Rod just to be to be able to maximise their chance of of uh, hurting those decks. But you know, the new t- tool in the form of Urza uh, also helps in that particular respect. Yeah. Um, and there's also decks that are obviously just abusing Mana Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, Soul Ring, and Mishra's Workshop as your seven points, uh, like the AEL Drazi deck um, that yep. has now started to spread its tendrils wide and far, and popped up, popped its you know reared its ugly head over in the 
uh, Melbourne uh, Highlander, you know, duos uh, event. And it uh, went to the finals. Uh, I think it got knocked out by a Grixis deck. Um, But again, that just demonstrates it's a colourless, purely colourless, abusing broken mana. Uh, You know, these, these things aren't dead. Uh, they just uh, need to be experimented with and to see exactly where they sit and how much you go all the way down that rabbit hole and how much you kind of hybridise your deck. Yep. So we've got two other cards. I'm going to cover one of them off really quickly because there's, I don't think, a huge amount to discuss, but um, Thrill of Possibility, I don't think we spoiled the when we did the last review. It's Tormenting Voice, but an instant. That's a, that's a significant Which is a big upgrade. upgrade. If you're in the market for drawing cards via discarding them, Absolutely go have a look at it because it'll probably be pretty good. The last one we want to discuss um, before we get on to some other stuff is Brazen Borrower. So Brazen Borrower, uh, I think, was one of the last cards spoiled. Mm. Um, Certainly, oh, yeah, anyway. So it's uh, one of the adventure cards. So it's got essentially two modes. One mode is two blue and one for a 3-1 flash flyer, which is decent. Um, it can only block flying creatures, which is which can only quite relevant in Highlander specifically, yeah. even though it's not yeah. as relevant in other formats. True, I'd, I'd forgotten that text. Um, yeah. <laughs> and its adventure, though, is a blue and one uh, bounce target permanent and opponent controls target permanent, yes. whatever it is. Oh, it's just non land permanent. Non land permanent, yeah. uh, so, permanent controls. Yeah, blue and one bounce target non land permanent and opponent controls. So. This is quite powerful. It's it's I would expect it to see play in decks like Rug Life, um, some of the other more mid rangey blue decks. This is exactly the sort of effect you want because on turn two you can just go. I'm going to bounce basically whatever you've done. Like you've played a creature, let's undo that. You've not played a creature, but you've played some artifacts. No, let's not. Um, Sometimes it'll let you break up combat. Sometimes it'll let you do a variety of other things which are quite useful, like you know, bounce a time vault so that they can't go off yet and you've got a chance to counter it on the way back down or something. Um, and then you get to cast the flyer again later uh, from Exile uh, and with Flash still. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a neat little package. Yeah, this card is quite literally exactly what Rug needed. And... Uh, uh, people that have chatted with me in uh, messages because they're sleeving up the deck as well and exploring different design spaces and seeing you know seeing where it sits in different metagames because everyone's metagame is different. You need different tools. Uh, the biggest weakness of Rug Life was the fact that if your opponent resolves a Tassiger, you basically have to two-for-one yourself. Yeah. You know, you have to rush your Goblin Guide into it and then incendiary flow that Tassiger because... And then the moment that your opponent untaps, when they have a counterspell, that option is just not available and you have to try and go as wide as possible. It's just an absolute nightmare when your opponent's got a Siege Rhino, Tassiger, uh, yeah, Corsair yeah. Crew Fix, anything with four toughness or above. Four I toughness you can generally... Well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zoo, Zoo would definitely not like to be in that situation. Um, four toughness is something we could handle with Chandra, Torch of Defiance, but five is a just absolute nightmare. Um and I had experimented as my 60th card and my 75th card as a way to you know, deal with that. Things like Vapor Snag was very, very um, uh, useful in just being able to push damage. And, you know, people often forget uh, Rug Life is a, a fundamentally an aggro deck <laughs> when you look at its tempo, but it's on the aggro spectrum. So you really, really don't want to play the control game with it. So um, you can do it, but you don't want to. And... Uh, you know, Vapor Snag kind of fits in that line. 
Then you've got the other alternatives, you know, things like Echoing Truth and, you know, other not particularly good options, but, you know, they save you from a merit large at the right time and, you know, save you from a problematic permanent like, a, you know, they've got the moon down before you do, You got to fetch your basics and whatever it was. Either way, when Brazen Borrow was printed, I read it and I'm like, wow, this is... This is literally exactly what Rug Life needs. It wants the ability to vapor snag something of your opponents and be a Vendillion click. And you just, you know, Rug Life's the kind of deck that you are very, very happy to play a second Vendillion click in, if you could, rather than a Spellseeker. Yep. If you you just want to be able to go, hey, okay, I hold up my evasive action in your turn. You didn't play something relevant. End of turn, click. I'll start beating face with a click, and now you try and kill it, and I spell pierce it. You know, it's just yep. that that fundamental principle. So Brazen Borrow ticks all of my boxes. I absolutely love the card, and it's kind of what I was what I was just wanting. So they just they printed my dream. It was it was great. I have only one problem with Brazen Borrow, uh, and that's the name of the adventure. <laughs> so, so the adventure is <laughs> the adventure is is called petty theft, but the brazen borrower is not stealing anything from you. It's returning something to you. Like they could have easily flavored this as the fairy like hiding your keys, basically. Yeah. Um. So you know. Yeah, some kind of like little mischief, you know, fey mischief or something, and you just do something cheeky and a bounce. Yeah, fairy tricks or something. Yeah. 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 So That's you know. Fair. Minus half a point for flavor. Um, That's fair. That's fair. <clears throat> I see that. Now, um, that largely wraps up our uh, retrospective Eldrain discussion of, of how the format might have evolved and changed in the light of these new cards. We do have uh, a couple of other things to talk about as we start to wrap up. Uh, but before we do that, I hear that, Vance, you've had an experience recently that might have related to our last episode. It does relate back into uh, our last episode a bit. So it's, it's time for a story. So I'm sitting comfortably. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got the marshmallows out and, and, and I'm Excellent. excited to hear. Hot chocolate. <laughs> so the other week I went down to, I flew down to Melbourne for uh, a friend's wedding. A friend's actually uh, Dan, who used to play Highlander, who some of you may know. So I flew down, uh, I met JP at the airport and we hired a car. Um, the first night was a bit painful, like the flight was late. I was driving on some weird, unfamiliar country roads in the dark. That wasn't great. Um, we get there, have the wedding. Wedding's fantastic. Everyone's happy. Fabulous weekend. Mm-hmm. Drive back into Melbourne. Now, I don't love driving in unfamiliar cars or unfamiliar cities um, at the best of times. Like, there are some people who like nothing more than you know, going out for a country drive. I am definitely not amongst them. <laughs> You're the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would go quite that far, but I'm certainly towards the other end of the spectrum, yeah. Yep. And Melbourne's not the easiest of places to drive in either. It's, um, it's not. I mean, going from visited. where we were going from where we were to the airport wasn't too bad because um, it was a relatively minor amount of actual Melbourne you have to drive through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm already a little bit tense. Um, so we get back to the... Uh, place where I've got to drop off the car. So, you know, get there, stop, and I'm like, sweet. All that all, that all is done with. And then they're like, oh, we need you to wipe the window down. So I'm like, oh, okay, put the keys back okay. in, wind down the window. And they're like, oh, and, you know, turn it off again. And they're like, oh, and we need you to um, turn it back on so that we can check the fuel. I'm like, oh, right, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're running early, so I go into the airport and try and change. First, I go to the machines to see if I can, because I need to print out a boarding pass. Oh, and yeah. they don't believe I exist. Um <laughs> So I'm like, 
okay, whatever. Presumably it's just the machines being dumb. And I'm like, well, I can maybe get on an earlier flight. Uh, so I go and talk to the um, whoever. And they're like, yep, sweet. We can put you on this flight. It's on a Dash 8. I'm like, oh, hard pass. Um, I would rather not be on a Dash 8 because uh, I am you know, not a small gentleman. Mm-hmm. And Dash 8s are small planes. Uh, but then they're <laughs> like, oh, there's, there's this other plane we can get you on an hour later, which is still an hour and a half before my other flight would have been. I'm like, sweet, perfect. That's fair. Um, they give me the boarding pass. I put it in my bag uh, and I go to go through security. I'm going through security, emptying my pockets, and I'm like, hmm, there is a pair of keys in this pocket that do not belong to me. They're from the car I just oh, returned. Oh, no. So oh, no. I jam all my stuff back into my bag, uh, head out of the airport, across the road. Uh, the place where you pick up your cars in Melbourne Airport is like across three or four busy-ish roads where there's people you know, mm. trying to drop people off and pick people up. And but not extremely far away. It's not like you have it's to not get, extremely get far away. It. Okay, but, but, it's, but it's, a, like, it's a walk. It's a five or ten minute walk, okay. probably. I don't know. Um, and then I go into the office and there's a massive queue. Oh, no. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then and I'm you're like, just oh, holding I'm... the keys up in the background going like, I just want to switch these keys. That's all I need to do. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, there was also, uh, there, there was like a, a VIP office in the car park that you could pick up your keys if you're a special member of whoever the hell it was. Nice. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go there and drop off the keys. And I drop them off and the woman's like, yep, sweet, no problems. I'm like, okay, cool. Go back, trudge my way back across several roads, back into the security area, unload all my pockets. Uh, I, you know, have a lot of stuff that needs to be removed for going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got keys, wallet, phone, iPod, because I'm a strange person and I have both. Uh, <laughs> headphones, shoes, belt. Nice pacemaker, um, metal hit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go, just go through all the possible Basically. Things. So yep. I unload all of that. Um, I go through... There's, there's, then I, um, oh, I've forgotten to take my laptop out of my bag, so I've got to go back, do that. And <laughs> then I go through and they're like, oh, we would like to test you for bomb residue. I'm like, of course you would like to. No problem, whatever. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I get that all the time. <laughs> Lit- uh, literally zero fail rate. I'm always the one that gets checked. <laughs> I don't know then, why. <laughs> and, and then they do all that and then I'm like, sweet get all my stuff back to where it's supposed to be. I'm like, oh my God, I can't find my boarding pass. Oh, no. Um, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to, there'll be a Qantas desk in here. Presumably this happens periodically and they'll just reprint it for me. Uh, and I go and the guy's like, yep, cool, reprint it for me. And as soon as he starts reprinting it, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where it is in my bag. Yep. Um, and then I realized that I've just been on sort of life tilt for the last half hour or so, mm. where all of these little things just keep building up, mm-hmm. and none of them are none of them are actually a big deal. Like if you go back back through that list, there's some minor annoyances. Um, mm-hmm. The worst one is forgetting to hand back the keys because you know maybe it's a car rental company and they're gonna try and charge me for an extra day or whatever, but they don't. Yep, yep. You're um, not gonna miss your flight. You know that you've. Uh, you've I've got safe, 90 minutes got before my flight. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Um, but it's just that thing where your, your sort of, your mental field of vision keeps narrowing down with all of these problems piling on top of each other, which, and, and it's very, it gets to the point where you're just, you're not thinking through your problems. Cause if I was, I would have been like, oh no, I've put my boarding pass in one of the other mm. pockets. Obviously like, of course that's what's happened. It's not in my pockets. It's not in the the middle pocket where I usually put it, I must have put it in one of the other pockets in my bag, which I had. Yeah, you would have um, worked through it logically yeah. because you would have had that time and you would have been you know, and able to focus on it. 
That's right. And, and it's about that, um, that mental space where, uh, as we were talking about last episode, sometimes, sometimes in life or in a game of magic, you just need to step back from all the little problems that seem to be overwhelming and go, okay, but what do I actually need to do here? Like, what is my actual problem? How do I solve it? And sometimes the answer is, in a game of magic, uh, scoop. Um, mm-hmm. But often, if you can afford yourself that, I mean, self-empathy sort of uh, thing mm-hmm. that, that you and Isaac talked about a bunch last time, um, you can actually solve these problems. You can just go, oh, no, wait, it's in my other pocket. Or, oh, I just need to not focus on the fact that my opponent's got Oko out and attack them. And mm-hmm. they're not going to have enough time to recover, even though... You know, they're going to be generating some food and gaining some life, but I'm going to put them under enough pressure that their options narrow down and I'm actually fine here. Yep, so, um, yeah, look, I just thought, given our, our subject last time, that was worth a little bit of a recap of... Um, not that these things are easy to do, particularly in the moment, but if you can find a way to do them, um, they will help you in both life and magic. Yep, yep. Perfect example of real-life tilt. Uh, and uh, you've you addressed it well, really, really good. And it's it's really interesting that uh, when you look at people who become frustrated and angry with small things, as opposed to people who kind of take those small things in stride, are more gentle on themselves and know to stop and smell the roses and have a laugh, being able to have a laugh about yourself or about your situation, uh, you compare those two cohorts of people and the latter cohort are always more happy. They have a higher level of subjective well-being. They have a very, very high level of um, perceived happiness. And at the end of the day, happiness is in the eye of the beholder regardless. So yeah. uh, that's really, really uh, a cool demonstration of you know exactly what we are talking about last week. Uh, thanks for sharing the story. Yeah, not a problem. So let's uh, close it out then, I think. Oh, so we've got, um, before I let Sav close this out, we've got three big events coming up um, in the medium to near future. So we've got GP Brisbane next month. Um, so there's going to be a hopefully big Highlander event on the Sunday. Um, I, if I ever get around to organising myself, will be going up and not playing in the main event. So I'll be hanging around to play Highlander and similar formats all weekend. Um, so if you spot me up there, uh, feel free to have a chat. Um, one of the ways... Did I mention this last time? I can't remember. One of the ways you will hopefully be able to spot us is we are, in theory, getting some name badges printed Um just so that for you know, for many of you, you'll be just like, well, yeah, I know who all of those committee members are. But there's a lot of new players in the format, and there's a lot of people uh, who, from my experience at previous GPs, don't necessarily know us or don't feel comfortable coming and having a chat with us. Mm, so yep. if you see one of us around and we're wearing this name badge and we're not in the middle of a game, come and have a chat with us about Highlander. It's almost literally my favorite thing to talk about. I'm pretty sure that's also true of Sarv and Isaac and Mulch. <laughs> yeah. so like you can't hold us back. You'll, you'll be wishing, why did I Why did I ask them? i got to go yeah. to my next round. <laughs> it can be difficult to shut us up. Yeah, so that's Brisbane coming up in uh, just under a month. After that, there's a couple of other events coming up. So 
I don't actually know the details of it, but I assume there's going to be a Moxing Day event in Melbourne between Christmas and New Year because there nearly always is. Yep, and it's usually within that day or so or or actually on Boxing Day. Right? Yeah, it's usually the 26th or the 27th. Yeah. yeah. In January, uh, on approximately Australia Day, uh, is going to be CanCon. So it'll be whichever weekend is the long weekend next to Australia Day or the weekend nearest to Australia Day. It's a really good event. It's one of the biggest... Quite aside from the magic stuff, which is great, Glenn puts on a good uh, event. It's one of the biggest or the biggest board game conventions in the Southern Hemisphere. It will have stores which will have every game just about that you can imagine. There's a huge area to play board games, but more importantly, there's an area to come and play magic. And even more importantly than that, uh, the National Highlander Championships will be on on that weekend as always. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can come along and have the glory of being the National Highlander Champion. It's usually a pretty big event. Uh, I think last year it was about 70-some. Mm. Until yeah. until we had that GP Melbourne with 98 people or whatever it was, CanCons had always been like the top five biggest Highlander events of, of all time before that were all at CanCon. So it's a big event. It's going to be a lot of the best, magic, uh, best Highlander players in the country. Obviously not everyone can make it because flights and stuff, but it's a really good event. If you win it, you get to you know have all those bragging rights, particularly if you're someone who wins it and isn't from Canberra, which since we've been running the trophy has only happened once. So, you know, come down and try and beat us. And then in mid to end of March, I uh, don't think the dates have been announced yet. There's the Adelaide Eternal um, Cup, which it'll be the second year of that. So uh, I didn't make it last year i'll see if i can make it next year but uh it should Fingers be crossed. yeah, yeah look, it should be it'll basically be about uh two weeks after the fringe festival we were planning to hold it during fringe because then you get to go out and you know see some comedies and all those kind of things but the problem is your accommodation will be really expensive yeah, yeah. so we decided to nix that idea uh, and and push it to within about one week of of this year i.e the previous uh time that the ae cup was run uh which was in kind of the first weekend or second weekend of April. This time we're doing last weekend of March. Uh, probably by the time this airs, you'll have the actual date itself more <laughs> solidified. Yeah. So just double check that on the various social media. Uh, it'll be uh, the there'll be the Legacy Cup on the uh, Saturday, the Highlander Cup on the Sunday. On the Saturday evening, there will be uh, very likely a, a Highlander uh, trial. And in that trial, you get the opportunity to win a buy for the following day, and very set up, set up very uh, similar to uh, a GP type event. And then we'll also have a cube draft for a winner duel, and then some other like retro set drafting, like Kanza Takia stuff like that. Um, and you know, just the usual, uh, all the hits of last year. Oh, last year! I keep saying last year. The last time. <laughs> so we'll be excited to uh, uh, spook that as we start to get close. But for now, just kind of put a save the date in there for the uh, last weekend of March. Just one other thing that I've uh, just realised we should mention when you were talking about cube draft. You might have seen Wizards' uh, Mystery Booster product, which is essentially a Chaos draft, um, and the convention edition has crazy wacky playtest cards in it um as is written on them they are not for constructed play uh that absolutely definitely does apply to highlander so you may not play those in a highlander event so <laughs> uh thank god because otherwise i think we'd have to point about 13 of them so <laughs> what a nightmare but i really want to draw off the bottom of my library yeah oh hey <laughs> this card doesn't work at all in magic please shuffle four time walks into your deck no pass pass anyway um although uh, i, I like, guess that, that it does look like a great fun event to play if you are at gp brisbane 
Nice. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, uh, that about wraps us up. We'll get an opportunity to meet you uh, probably over at the GP Brisbane. I'm looking forward to that opportunity. Uh, But between now and then, we might have maybe one more episode, I think, airing. Uh, We'll see how uh, the timing lines up with the GP. So thank you very much for joining us. And you can make sure that you follow us on Twitter at HighlanderCast. Uh, That's where you get all those little updates about, uh, you know, episode topics and that kind of thing. Uh, You can also shoot us various questions there as well. We can answer you directly on the Twitter. Uh, You can also follow Vance. Vance is at Vancean Notions. I am not on that social media. Uh, I am actually not on many social media, but I try my best to keep in contact with the Highlander community. Uh, we can also keep in contact with you via Patreon. Uh, if you become a patron, you can support us for you know, a dollar an episode or something like that and uh, become a one point uh, subscriber and you get the opportunity to join Patreon Island and you get to uh, field new questions and topics for episodes. You can ask us things that we can have answered on air and you can have some uh, shaping of the Highlander cast itself, which is pretty awesome. Uh, if you want to get more involved in the Seven Point Highlander community, also check out uh, OzEternal.com, which has lots of deck lists and event results there. You can also search up Seven Point Highlander on Facebook. And we also have a Discord as well, which will be in the show notes. Uh, so you can click a link that goes directly to the Discord there. Uh, and that wraps up our episode. So thanks very much for listening to episode 41, I believe it is. Uh, farewell, yeah. everyone. We'll see it's you at GP Brisbane if we can. Given all the talk of Oko, it's a real shame it's not episode 33. I believe the episode title will probably be something like uh, this episode was turned into an elk or something. This episode yeah. is a 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> see you all. Bye, everyone.